the forgiving heart. My teacher Ajahn Chah said, if you let go a little, you'll have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. And if you let go fully, you will have complete and joyful peace. So here we are at the turning of the next seasons, the Jewish New Year and holiday of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement has just passed, the New Year, which is in that culture or system, follows the time of the harvest to start the new year after the harvest. And of course, we're always starting again. How do we renew ourselves? How do we atone, which is the Yom Kippur day of forgiveness? How do we somehow cleanse the past and start in a gracious, wise, loving way again? Earlier this year, I joined online with a group of peacemakers that were called Combatants for Peace. And the event was held in Beit Jalah, a town in Palestine. And the two men on the panel with me, the two warriors on the panel with me, was an Israeli commander named Tulsi and a Palestinian combat leader known, named Osama. And they had both led their military units in conflict where their followers and people with them on both sides were killed, their comrades. And somehow, as they said in our conversation and in the work that we did for all those who watched, they simply couldn't do it any longer. They realized we have to find a way to share this land in peace, we need to find a better way. And so they've been on this journey and trying to convince and support and awaken this possibility, which is there on all sides to awaken it. And of course, it's not easy. People get really stuck. A few years ago, I was doing some peace work in Myanmar or Burma, and it was during the time of the targeting which has continued of the relatively large and long-standing Muslim population in Burma, trying to drive them out, great anti-Muslim racism and so forth. And I met with one of the main Buddhist monks who was a kind of uh, provocateur of this, even though he was a famous monk, an anti-Muslim leader and read to him some of the Buddhist texts and said, you know, this is really not following the Dharma as an upstart, I might say that. And he agreed and he said he would change his ways. And of course it was a lie. He continued to foment violence against the Muslims. And the same time when I was in Palestine, there was in Hebron and I met one of the uh, most vociferous anti-Arab activists and head of one of the political parties in Israel that wanted to throw all the Palestinians, Arabs out of Israel and out of, out of the Palestinian land. And even with a kind approach and a trying to inquire and so forth, nothing. Not easy. And we know it in the polarization in this country as well. This isn't a quick fix. But yet we need to understand Dear ones, we have to know, what is it that allows Northern Ireland to stop killing one another, the people there? What is it that allows Rwanda to begin to mend a country, a nation torn apart between the Hutus and the Tutsis and find a road to peace? What is it that's allowed France and Germany, which were these incredible violent enemies in World War I and World War II, not that long ago in my lifetime, actually, to become friends. O nobly born, begin the Buddhist texts, remember who you really are. Remember your true nature, your Buddha nature, for there's a reality deeper than the conflicts 
there's a truth and a reality deeper than all these conflicts. When I was doing peace work there in Palestine and Israel, I remember joining the teenagers who'd been brought together at the Sulkita. And Jesse, if you'd kindly pull up that picture, thank you. I was working with a group of Jerusalem peacemakers that had Muslim sheikhs and rabbis and druze and leaders from all different spiritual traditions. And this is one photo of part of the group that I was with. And at the bottom are these teenagers, in this case, it was mostly teenage boys, although there were girls there as well, who'd been meeting together for three years and finally managed to bring their parents together. And there was a big problem to try to get the Palestinian parents over into Israel, where they were, into this community that was hosting them. Um, and there was 100 or 150 of us all together. And I remember standing in a circle with these folks. Now we're just standing and posing for a picture. But there we were in a circle with maybe a dozen of their teenage children in the middle and or 15 Palestinian parents and Israeli mothers and fathers all holding hands, the Arab women holding hands with their, with their family members, of course, and gazing at these kids who'd become heart friends. They'd become so close together. And then one of the Arab mothers, one of the Arab women turned over to me and said, it was translated for me, you know, for 20 years, I've only seen Israeli soldiers. I forgot they had mothers. And it was such a touching moment to me for her to see and for us to remind one another that who we really are is not all these stories that are told but that there's a profound humanity and connection underneath it all. Thank you for that photo. So here we are human beings in this incarnation, the world of unbearable beauty in the ocean of tears. How do we touch our measure of suffering? With a forgiving heart, that's how. I remember at the founding of Naropa Buddhist University, the first summer teaching together with Chogyam Trumpa and Ram Das and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein and Krishna Das, lots and lots of other teachers, 2000 students or more. And on the full moon that summer, it might've been Guru Purnima day or some big holiday. We had a bonfire out in the flat land under the moon, where you could see the whole wall of the Rocky Mountains, as you do coming from the Great Plains up to Boulder, and see the mountains arise above you, this huge bonfire. And it was meant in part to be a celebration, but also a Kali fire, a fire of purification, of to release and atone and move on. And so people were invited, all the students, to write down things that they needed to let go of, that they needed forgiveness for, that they needed to release to start anew. And Ramdas, in his role at that time as a kind of priest, still wearing white and be beads in the beard, Baba Ramdas was his kind of persona at the time. He had set up a kind of a small tent and before you could go and throw your words and troubles and to, into the Kali fire to release and be purified, you were invited to step in and to confess, if you will, or to speak from the heart or to tell Ramdas what it was that had troubled you, that weighed on you before you threw, in, threw it in. And Ramdas stood there as a thousand people went through his little tent listening to each one. And afterward, I watched them, they threw things into the fire and then they began to dance and you could feel a new freedom. I asked Ramdas, what did he hear? 
And he said, oh, so many stories, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of self-judgment, a lot of confusion around sexuality, a lot of problems in families. He said over and over again, the same kind of stories. And he said, all I did was gaze at them with the eyes like my guru to see who they really are, that secret beauty underneath it all and bless them. And then they threw it in the fire. We all need that. With mindful, loving awareness, the very practice that we've been doing, we can step out of the tyranny of self-judgment, judging ourselves for all the things that we haven't done right or not done or done wrong. We can forgive ourselves for being a learner in this life. I mean, did you get a manual when you were born? Are you supposed to be an expert? This is, as some say in a kind of somewhat joking way, this is a training planet. This is a place for us to, when we're born, to remember, even though we've lost it in ways, to remember our nobility, to remember the possibility of heart, the great heart of compassion, forgiveness, kindness, awakening. Yeats, the great Irish poet, probably the one of the greatest, the Nobel laureate. Toward the end of his life, he, he writes, I'm content to follow to its source every event in action and thought. He's measuring his life. Measure the lot, forgive myself the lot. When such as I cast out remorse, so great a sweetness flows into the breast for we must laugh and we must sing, for we are blessed by everything and everything we look upon is blessed. This is the gift of forgiveness. We can be forgiven and we can forgive. I remember the story of a hospice worker, a woman who'd worked at Laguna Honda Hospital here in San Francisco in the hospice unit or ward. And a man had been brought in who was quite sick and on his trajectory toward dying and death. And he was in the orange garb of a convict, a man who'd been taken out of prison. And in fact, he was shackled with a handcuff to his bed. And the hospice worker spent some time, this volunteer, she listened to his story, she tended him, she cared for him. And she asked him about his family and he said he hadn't seen his mother for 30 years. He hadn't want to, wanted her to see him in prison. He was so deeply ashamed of what he had done. He felt he couldn't face his mother. But the hospice worker, with her good heart, slowly, slowly convinced him that it would be worthwhile, important, essential for him to make amends to see his mother. And so the man who had been shackled to his bed finally gave her permission to call his mother and she arranged for his mother to come. She said, and here was an old woman with a cane, dressed mostly in black, who came down the hall to the door, met the hospice worker with a greeting, and then looked in the door at her son and just stood there. And the hospice worker, this woman who told me, began to weep as she told me, she said, this mother stood there and looked at her son and she began to weep and her countenance was like the face of Mother Mary, holding her beloved child even after all that happened to him. After the crucifixion, it was like the seeing the, the face of the mothers of the world 
holding their children no matter what. This is who we are. Suffering is not the end of the story. This is the good news in this mysterious human realm. Yes, there is suffering, but there's something so much greater. There's also freedom of heart, the great heart of compassion, redemption, peace. O nobly born, we are invited to step out of the battle. And as Ajahn Chah says, if you let go a little, you'll be a little happy. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of happiness. And if you let go fully, you'll be truly happy. Yes, you might say and ask quite rightly, but what if you're being harmed? I think of the story of Amy, a meditation student who came to talk to me some years ago. After her father died, her father had started a big construction company. Her three brothers and she were supposed to receive the inheritance, but the brothers began to fight. And especially they tried to very, in, in some very unpleasant and mean ways, cut Amy out of her inheritance to steal it from her. She was both in grief about it and also confused, what do I do? So we did a lot of inner work over some time, first to settle and steady her and say, you know you can go through this. Then we talked about finding the best lawyer she could, which she really needed to do to protect herself. And as we talked and met over a period of time, she got the lawyer, she at least saved part of her inheritance. And she came in one day and we talked and she said, you know, they're still my brothers. No matter how much I was hurt, they're still my brothers and I don't want to abandon my family. I need to find a way to love them again. And she began doing the forgiveness practice that we'll be doing later this evening together. In a similar way, another woman in the middle of a terrible divorce. In this case, her husband was trying to keep all the money, um, disaffect the children and have total, you know, um, cut, cut their mother out from them so that she wouldn't be able to even visit them, even though he'd been the one that had the affair. And he was doing it in a mean-spirited way with a lot of the money that they had both shared and hiring these lawyers to help him. And again, as we began to work together, I said, get yourself a kick-ass lawyer because you need it to protect yourself. And she did that. She worked in her own way somehow to hang in there so that she wouldn't lose custody of her children. And one day again, she came in to see me and she said, with all that's going on, my ex is trying to turn the children against me as happens in these terrible divorces. And she got quiet and she looked at me, she said, and I've been meditating and I realized that I will not bequeath a legacy of bitterness to my children. I will not talk badly about their father, no matter what he does. And there was such dignity and courage and big heartedness in what she said. Yes, she was protecting herself, but even more importantly, she was protecting her children. The principles for wise forgiveness are these. First, and those of you who've been with me over the years have heard these, but they're still important to remember. First, forgiveness is not weak or naive. It doesn't mean to forgive and forget. It takes real courage, a deep courage, 
As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, if you want to see the brave, look to those who can forgive. If you want to see the heroic, look to those who can offer love for hatred, in exchange for hatred. Forgiveness is also does also does not condone what happened. It doesn't in any way say that it's fine or okay or good. In fact, it's critical with forgiveness as a first step to make sure that you don't allow the harm to continue, to step away, to intervene, to stop in any way you can, whatever you need to do. And it doesn't even mean that you have to speak to people if they're going to continue to harm you or to have contact with them. It neither condones it, nor does it allow it to continue. You can say, I will put my body in the way of making sure this harm does not continue to myself or others as you need, or I will step away to make sure. It takes this courage. Also, forgiveness is not quick. You can't paper it over. Like grief, it is a long, tender, hard process of the heart digesting the pain that's happened and little by little coming to terms and extending the forgiveness. The story I always tell is of the man who wrote to the IRS in tax season. And he said, I haven't been able to sleep since I cheated on my taxes last year. So I enclosed a $3,000 anonymous cashier's check made out to the IRS. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. This is how it works. Like metta, you don't start with the most difficult place. You start with what opens your heart. You do it a little at a time, in the sweet place first, a step at a time. And in forgiveness, it too is a process, a little at a time, even holding the for possibility of forgiving or forgiving yourself for not being ready to forgive, but inclining the heart in that direction. Really important to understand that forgiveness is not for them. Who is it for? Again, you remember the story of the two ex-prisoners of war who'd been tortured years ago and met 30 years later, talked about it, and one of them said to the other, have you forgiven our captors yet? And the second one through gritted teeth said, no, never. And the first one looked kindly and said, well, they still have you in prison then, don't they? What forgiveness is for is for us to not live with the bitterness of heart, with a clenched heart, being chained to the past. If we're chained to the past, and you can see it internationally, then the Palestinians and Israelis, the, the Northern Irish, the Rwandans, they will say, your people did this, and my people did this, and we have all our reasons. It's different. Forgiveness is really not about them. It's about our own hearts, not being chained by the past. And finally, in that way, it simply means that in the end, we will not put another being out of our heart. Now, what about those who are undermining climate change repair and those who are politicizing and undermining the, the very tools and things we need to help the world with this pandemic? What about people who are stopping or blocking the economic and racial and social justice that's so needed in the world. I think of my dear friend and teacher and colleague and inspiration, Mahagosananda, who was the Gandhi of Cambodia, nominated for the Nobel Prize many times, and who led people from the refugee camps who'd fled the unthinkable killing, killing fields of the Khmer Rouge 
Gosananda's 19 members of his whole family were killed, his temple was burned. And all these people who had lost so much, their villages, their family members. He said, you can't go back to your villages in a bus or in the back of a truck. You have to reclaim your land and your heart with loving kindness, step by step. And so for 15 years, he led these peace walks in the front with a bell, chanting hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed, followed by a thousand people walking behind him back to their villages. Gosananda was invited to the US Congress to speak because he was part of that group of people who were working to ban landmines worldwide. That group received a Nobel Prize. And for Gosananda, it was very personal because he'd seen too many children who'd lost their limbs, who'd been blown up by mines in part. And when he stood up to the Congress to speak, he said, yes, I beg you, you must sign the worldwide treaty to ban landmines. And then he paused and he said, but even more importantly, we have to work together to remove the landmines in the heart, the fear and the hatred and all of those things that create the landmines. Yes, we need to work outwardly and do what we can for this extraordinary and amazing earth. And at the same time, we need to remove the landmines in our heart. I believe it is Longfellow who said, if you could re read the secret history of your enemies, you would see suffering and tragedy enough to disarm all hostility. If you could see the secret history of even those who are doing terrible things, and you would see the fears and the trauma and all of the things that drive them, if you could read the secret history, it would disarm your heart. Think of this story of Maria Elena. Maria Elena grew up with a lot of shame about being poor. Outwardly, she tried to overcome this with hard work. She was the first in her extended family to ever go to college, but struggling with feelings of insecurity, she felt like an outcast. After she graduated, she worked in the city for the Department of Public Safety. 16 years later, she transferred to a farming community just in from the coast near Oxnard. She told me, after I'd lived in the city, now I go in the coffee shop and see the old clothes and the uneducated farmers. It's so easy to judge them and feel myself as different. We may be different in education and politics, but these are false ways we separate ourselves. Now, when I really look, I just want to drop my judgments and be with them, be with us. My father was like them. He drank too much. He berated us, his daughters. He was terrible to his sons. I was desperate to get free of him, of our family. But my shame and anger and resentment stayed with me. When I began to practice mindfulness, compassion, loving kindness, it was hard to sit still. After a while, I realized how sad I was and how much hurt was in my body. I was just trying to cope. I was grateful to be taught the loving kindness and forgiveness practices. I did them twice a day for two years. I needed to forgive myself for being so angry and ashamed as much as I needed to forgive my father. Practicing forgiveness was like learning to stand and walk and feel good about myself. And then I was able to go home to see my family, even my father without hurting so much. Seven years later, when my father got sick, it wasn't hard to go back. I saw his slow decline until finally, he was a weak old man on his bed. I knew that I loved him. I'd forgiven us all. With forgiveness, we repair the world.
sometimes it's your broken heart that opens your loving heart. You all remember the famous old Zen story about the two monks and the young woman in a beautiful kimono at the edge of the river, unable to cross because the river had risen in the storms. And one of the monks walked over and with her permission, picked her up in his arms and carried her across the river and put her on down on the other side. And then two monks continue to walk on their journey to a distant temple. And sometime later, some hours later, the other monk had been chewing on it and finally blurted out, how could you do that? We monks are not supposed to look at, much less pick up women, young women in beautiful kimonos like that. How dare you do that? And the second monk looked at him and said, I put her down back there. Are you still carrying her? Now we've all heard this story and it's been repeated for centuries. Why? Because it's true. We can let go. We can put down the burdens of resentment. We can see anew with the heart of tenderness and compassion. We can engage this world and care for it in a very different way. For who you are is consciousness itself, not your conditioning and not your history. They have to be honored, not your body or your emotions that are constantly changing or that river of thoughts, most of or a lot of which you wouldn't want anybody else to hear anyway. That's not who you are. You are loving awareness, you are consciousness born into this body. And this is the place of freedom. The invitation of the Buddhist teachings is to step out of the body of fear. Hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is the ancient and eternal law, it says. To step out of the body of fear and find that beauty and well-being and peace that comes with forgiveness and graciousness of heart, looking at the world with tender eyes. I like to read this story of Roberto Di Vincenzo. He was the most famous golfer in Argentina some years ago maybe the equivalent of Tiger Woods, or if you're older, maybe of Arnold Palmer. And once he won a tournament, and after receiving the check and smiling for the cameras, he went to the clubhouse and prepared to leave. Sometime later, walking alone to his car in the parking lot, he was approached by a young woman. She congratulated him on his victory and then told him that her child was seriously ill and near death. De Vincenzo was touched by her story and took out a pen and endorsed his winning check for payment to the woman. Make some good days for the baby, he said, as he pressed the check into her hand. The next week, he was having lunch in a country club when a PGA official came to his table. Hey, some of the guys in the parking lot last week told me you met a young woman there after you won the tournament. De Vincenzo nodded. Well, said the official, I have news for you. She's a phony. She has no sick baby. She fleeced you, my friend. De Vincenzo looked up. You mean there's no baby who's dying? That's right, said the official. Well, that's the best news I've heard all week, he replied. We can do this, you know. We can live with a gracious and tender, a forgiving and compassionate heart. We can learn to practice forgiveness and it is a practice. When I was first taught, I was told to do it twice a day for six months or so. 
And then I began to think, wait a second, that's 300 times. And I did it a little, a little, a little for my father who'd been so violent and abusive for other people in my life, for people around me. Yeah, I think Mark Twain said something about, oh, I wish I could remember the, the statement about um, how much we only wish that the personalities of other people, other people's foibles would change. But anyway, I just did it. I did it and did it little by little, water on a stone. You know how that goes. Slow, soft, small, tender. And it became more and more the way that I wanted to live. But it's not just me. It's us, you know. I mean, the ones we admire, those who are in kind of the top of the pantheon, the, you know, Archbishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama and so many others of these great spiritual figures. They're not really different than us. They simply have opened themselves to that great loving heart that is who you two are really, who we really are, who you are as well. So let's practice the three directions of forgiveness together now for a bit. If you would, shift your body and find a way to sit comfortably and at ease. And this will be a guided meditation for 10 or 15 minutes. And take it as a practice. The word practice means practice. It doesn't mean perfect. It means it's an invitation to your heart to remember what's possible to begin the road of tenderness and forgiveness, to begin to open the gates to the inner garden of freedom, to not carry the burdens of the past. And when you're ready, close your eyes gently and take 30 seconds just to come back, to breathe gently and rest with what's ever been touched in this talk. Wherever you are, hold it all in tenderness. And now, breathing gently, let us begin the first of the three directions of forgiveness practice. There are many ways, and take this as a reflection as you listen. There are many ways in which I have hurt and harmed others, betrayed them, abandoned them, caused them pain, hurt them in all kinds of ways, knowingly and unknowingly. I begin to remember these now. Let yourself remember some of the ways in which you've hurt and harmed others or caused them pain, abandoned, betrayed them. You can remember, you can know. And as you do, feel the tenderness, the regret, the care that comes in the heart. And now reflect 
either generally on all that you remembered or you can choose a particular person or circumstance in the ways that I've hurt and harmed you knowingly or unknowingly cause you pain cause you to suffer abandoned you, betrayed you, caused harm to you in any way, small and large, out of my own confusion and fear, out of my own hurt and pain and misunderstanding and ignorance. In this moment, seeing with the heart, in this moment, I ask your forgiveness in any way out of my own pain or fear, confusion, hurt, anger that I've caused harm to you. Please forgive me. Please. Forgive me. And sense as you do that you can be forgiven. That forgiveness is possible. That forgiveness is our birthright to start over again, O nobly born, to ask forgiveness, to receive forgiveness, to begin again. And now with the same tenderness of heart, let us do the second direction of forgiveness. Just as we ask forgiveness of others who we've harmed, cause suffering, so too we have to forgive ourselves for all that we've done that's caused harm to others but even more the ways that we've caused harm to ourselves, And in this moment, I remember the ways I've abandoned myself, betrayed myself, caused myself pain or suffering just as I've done to others. The ways that I brought hurt to myself, judged myself so harshly. Harm myself. And in the many ways that I remember now that I've hurt or harmed myself, betrayed myself as I've harmed others at times, judged and undermined myself in all these ways, out of my fear, out of my own confusion and hurt, out of anger and ignorance, misunderstanding in all these ways out of my pain and hurt I now offer myself forgiveness I forgive myself and if you wish you can put your hand on your heart hold yourself with a tenderness 
In this moment, I release myself, I forgive myself. As Yates says, I measure the lot, forgive myself the lot. And let the sweet nectar of forgiveness fill your consciousness and your body. You can do this. You can be forgiven. This is tending the heart. Oh, nobly born, this is remembering who you really are. Remembering your Buddha nature, your true nature. The great heart of forgiveness. And finally, the third direction of forgiveness. There are many ways that others have hurt and harmed me. Just as I've harmed others or harmed myself, there's so many ways and times that others have betrayed me, hurt me, abandoned me, caused me pain and suffering, knowingly and unknowingly. This has happened and we all carry these hurts. Let yourself remember and see and remember all the ways that you've been abandoned and hurt, harmed, betrayed. And perhaps choosing one that feels like it, it's important in time to begin to forgive and let go. Remembering what happened and the pain you still carry. And visualizing in the way that you harmed me or hurt me. in the way that you betrayed or ab abandoned me, caused me pain, sometimes so much pain. Out of your own fear and hurt, out of your own pain and anger and confusion, I see this now. with a forgiving heart. And to the extent that I'm ready, because you can't rush this, to the extent that I'm ready, I offer you forgiveness. And it might be a little or a lot. It might be just the beginning. To the extent that I'm ready, I forgive you. I release you. I will not carry bitterness in my heart. And feel as you do that you're opening the door of forgiveness. Maybe beginning the process of letting go 
of a tender release. of a courageous forgiveness. And with these three directions, together we've been practicing the forgiveness asking forgiveness of others, forgiving ourselves, and offering it to those who've harmed us. Return now to a place of quiet and dignity. O oh, nobly born, remember that this freedom and greatness of heart is who you really are. Trust it. Practice it. Let your heart be free. So as the Bhagavad Gita says, this, is, this practice takes courage. If you wanna see the courageous, the heroic, look to those who can forgive. If you wanna see the loving, look to those who can forgive. If you wanna see those who can laugh with joy and move on in a new season in their life, look to those who can forgive. If you want to see those who in themselves can repair the world and who can bring this spirit to the conflicts and difficulties around so that we might share in the repair of the world, look to those who can forgive. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.